Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Once again, here we are, another week. It's another Wednesday, and we are on Easy Street. This is true crime on Easy Street. I'm, I'm pretty Kelly. sure there's something in that lemonade. I'm Ke- <laughs> I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. Scott, it's my intro. Sorry, I do, Stop it, every, I do it every time. Every time. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. My name is Scott Wright, and I'm a mediocre journalist. I will prove it to you today. <laughs> and this is not lemonade. Um, I don't like lemonade. Oh, so except apologies. I like Tumor's Corner lemonade, War Eagle, whatever. Okay, put that in. All Fair right, <laughs> I walked right into that one. Do we have any shout outs this week? I know that we do. We do. Who, you, who are we shouting out to? You start. Number one shout out for this week. I mean, I'm not. This shout out is uh all, just as awesome as the rest. Yeah. So I'm not like rating them this yeah, week. Yeah, let's like don't our rate our shout outs. No, 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 no. They're all 100s on a scale. They from are one. To 100. They're all. Beautiful, wonderful people. So the first beautiful, wonderful person we're going to shout out today is Claire Chestnut. Claire, thank you so much for being a listener from the beginning. We appreciate it so, so much. I think she's heard them all, she told me. She has. Uh I truly believe that. She needs a hobby. She (laughs) loves us and we love her. Who else are we shouting out? Uh, I'm going to get to my shout out when it becomes pertinent to the story later on in this episode, if that's okay. Well, that's very interesting. And I don't forget. Is that the same shout out you sent us? Yes. Right. Okay. That is okay. correct. Is it that turns out that there's a there's a geographical connection? Oh, that I will highlight okay. at the appropriate time again, unless I forget it. In fact, let me scan through right now and make sure that I don't forget about it. <laughs> I got to give one more. I got to give one more shout out. We've given him a shout out. I think a couple of times actually, but I got to give another shout out to Kevin Green because he came up to me yesterday. Yes. We and he said, oh, yeah, yesterday, actually Sunday. Okay. So I forget when this oh, is going to, yes. oh, yeah. going to be she, out yeah, on Wednesday. She, you've already fooled everybody. You said Wednesday. Chance. Yeah. But we actually do this on Monday. Yeah, so yesterday to us was Sunday. Okay. Exactly. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> well, you already knew uh, it. But maybe everybody else. Kevin knew. came up to Katie and I and said, I'm caught up. He was coming back from Atlanta and he caught up on all the episodes. So he was very complimentary. Um, was he of us as a team um, of as a trio Ka- of Katie and I, 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 I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't come up Scott <laughs> that is a joke my name that is was not joke. mentioned no that yeah, sounds thank about you right. very much Kevin That's Green for, for being um, a listener and being caught up on all of our episodes indeed okay you guys ready to get started this is a very interesting thing and I this the, the crime that we're going to discuss today takes place from 1977 to 1980 and so we had just talked about 1977 when we did uh, the Reverend Willie Maxwell a few weeks ago so I, I I went through all three of those years to try to decide how I wanted to approach the set the table segment this week for what we're going to talk about so I chose 1980 because there was a lot of interesting stuff as there was in all three years, but 1980. Please tell me you have that magnificent sporting event from 1980. I do. On there. I'm going to lead ah! off with it. Okay, I want to shut up. 
The Pittsburgh Steelers won their fourth Super Bowl in six seasons, defeating the Los Angeles Rams 31-19 in Super Bowl fourteen. And the greatest Pittsburgh Steeler of all time, Terry Bradshaw, was the MVP of that game. Is that, that what you meant? Uh, no, but that's awesome. <laughs> but that's awesome. I love that. Wait, are you talking about the Miracle on Ice? Yes. Of course it's on here. Okay, thank you. Give me a break, man. Uh, and Jan- that was on January the 20th when the Steelers won their fourth Super Bowl in six seasons. On January the 29th, the Rubik's Cube made its international debut at the British Toy and Hobby Fair in London. I've never solved one. I have, but I, I used a <laughs> screwdriver to do it. I'll, I'll show Did you. you guys. Somebody go, I know there's one in Shane's office. Go get it, and we'll. I'll show you after we get finished. It's easy. Uh, on May the 1st of 1980, uh, in an article by journalist Dan Roderberg in Chicago Magazine, the first time the word yuppie was ever mentioned that can be found, the first recorded use of the word yuppie was used in an article to describe a young urban professional, a young person with a with a nice job and a little flair while they do it. Is that what yuppie stands for? Young urban young professional? Young urban professional. Hmm. Yes, ma'am. I didn't know it was that an acronym. That is true. Uh, 17 days later, on May the 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington State. Uh, 57 people were killed, and it caused $3 billion in damage. And I found a calculator online that does the math. In 2021 dollars, that is $34 billion worth of damage. Wow, inflation's crazy. Inflation. On May the 22nd, Pac-Man, the highest-earning arcade game of all time, was first released in Japan. Uh, On June the 1st, the first 24-hour news channel, cable news network, CNN, was launched, and one of the crimes that was committed by the subject of today's podcast, uh, that was the lead story. That was their first big nationwide story on CNN, and we'll get to that. And I skipped over the date. I, don't, I didn't write down the date of the Miracle on Ice, but that was in probably uh, March of 1980. When I don't the, know. I'll get the actual date. Get that for me while I'm trying to describe it. So the, the American hockey team made up of a bunch of college kids uh, in Lake Placid, New York in 1980, defeated the Russian national hockey team, which was made up by a bunch of professionals. That was on February the 22nd, 1980. Thank you, Kelly Turner. Uh, and that game, that was the miracle on ice. That was when Al Michaels screamed, do you believe in miracles? But they actually had to win one more game. Yes, most people think that that's, that was the game that won them the gold. That was the game that got them into the gold medal game. Exactly. And then they defeated... Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, I forget, but they defeated. No idea. They, they won that game as well uh, and won the. Uh, uh, they did win the, the gold. The gold medal in the I don't remember who they had to. Yeah. That'd be a great trivia question. I remember the name of the goalie. Jim Craig was the name of the goalie because he went on to play for the Atlanta Flames when Atlanta had a National Hockey League team. I, I love to watch that. hockey. I love to go to a live game. We used to go to games I, in college. Birmingham had a, a minor league hockey team. Yes, and I we would. Went all the time. Loved the it. Birmingham Bulls. But I didn't understand anything that was going oh, on. God, but you don't really have to. No, it's just a it's bunch a of lot guys, of fun. It's a bunch of guys fighting with sticks. Yeah, and sometimes someone goes into the penalty box. Love that part. Is it cold in a hockey? Not arena? especially. I mean, not that bad. It's, you know, wear a jacket. It's in the it's in the high fifties, maybe. I mean, the ice I mean, you is would be cold. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't like cold. You would be cold. I, I, I would I'm be barely cold. like eating at the Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then you wouldn't like it. Uh, wear your jacket. Back to the, our set the table segment on November the fourth. Ronald Reagan defeated Jimmy Carter and became the fortieth president of the United States. Uh, on November the 21st, a record number of viewers for the time for an entertainment show tuned into the CBS network drama Dallas to find out who oh, shot JR. My mother loved that show. Who remembers who shot JR? 
I, Anybody? I, wasn't it all a dream? Kristen Shepard. No, that's at the end when Bobby's in the shower. <laughs> Sorry, Kristen spoiler Shepherd. alert. <laughs> Kristen Shepard won. Uh, won. Shot JR. Oh. And um, my, my cousin Kristen Yates, Cameron now, is named after Kristen who shot JR. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I don't know, know if that. I'm even supposed to tell that story, but her mom, Janice, oh, used dear. to tell it all the time, and now I may be in big trouble. Yeah, that's why. And then sadly, on December the 8th, 1980, uh, John Lennon, the former Beatle, was shot dead outside his home in New York City by Mark David Chapman, who has been in prison ever since. His next uh, parole hearing is August of 22, and he, for the 14th time, I'm guessing, will be denied parole. Oh, a Probably, parole I'm yeah. guessing as well. So the story we're going to talk about tonight is about one Joseph Paul Franklin. And the, the, the book that I got a lot of this information from is titled Joseph Paul Franklin, The Story of the Racist Killer by Jack Rosewood and Dwayne Walker. It's a 2016 book, a book by WIG Media, W-I-G Media. I also watched an episode of the FBI Files. That was the name of the show. Uh, it was season two, episode 15. It's available on YouTube. And there are several videos that you can find on YouTube that are interviews with Franklin after he was incarcerated and on death row in Missouri and when he talks about some of the crimes that he's committed through the years uh, that I watched several of. So Joseph Paul Franklin was actually born James Clayton Vaughn on lucky April the 13th, 1950. And I'm going to start calling him Franklin and I'll tell you when I do that, but it's going to be a long time before he actually changes his name. He's 26 when he changes his name to Joseph Paul Franklin. And there's a story there. But I'm going to call him Franklin for the rest of the show, even though he was born James, James Clayton Vaughn. Okay, got his, it. That was his real name. So James Sr. Uh, was described in the book by Rosewood as an abusive father, a World War II veteran. He was from Mobile. I don't think that uh, Franklin was born in Mobile. But before he was too old, uh, he was still a young boy. The family moved back to James Sr.'s hometown of Mobile. Uh, and he was a butcher and an abusive alcoholic World War II veteran. Unfortunately, a lot of folks came home from World War II with, with ghosts in their attic that, you know, they had to try and. And really Vietnam as well. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people who've been in the service. It's, and you know, you can go all the way through Iraq and Afghanistan and you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it has an effect on you. We're human beings. Of course it does. And James senior was one of those people. Uh, Also mom, Helen was an alcoholic and they were abusive to the James children and they were abusive to the Vaughn children rather. And they were abusive to each other, according to the book that I read. Uh, so it wasn't, not to make excuses for the way this man's life turned out, but it wasn't a very good childhood. Uh, and some of the other Vaughn kids said through the years that it wasn't uncommon to be awakened in the middle of the night and have your ass beat by one or the other of your parents, your <sighs> drunk parents. Uh, and all of the James, or all the Vaughn children grew up hating both of their parents. And they all I had, can understand right? Why. And they all had mental health issues later in their lives mm-hmm. to varying Obviously. degrees. Yeah. So they moved around a lot. Dad couldn't hold down a job, but they eventually ended up back in Mobile. And they lived in a segregated part of Mobile called Birdville. And according to the, the way it's described in the book, it was sort of one of those towns where on one side of the tracks was the black neighborhood and the other side was the white neighborhood. So there was a lot of racial animosity in Birdville. So he grew up in and around that. And when he was a child in the late fifties and the early sixties, Franklin, we're talking about, uh, that's what was in the news every day. I mean, the civil rights fight, I mean, uh, Rosa Parks in 55 and then, uh, the, the diner sit-ins in 58 and 60 and the freedom riders in 61 that going through, uh, trying to make it to new Orleans on the buses and, and in Birmingham and Atlanta, they've been attacked by, uh, white folks that, you know, set the buses on fire and beat them up when they ran out. So it was a, it was a time 
when there were there was a lot of racial strife, especially in the South, and that's what Franklin grew up seeing and hearing and learning about. Uh, he was a decent student by all accounts, but a loner. And one of the things that he liked to do was read. And early on in his life, he read Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine how that book ended. Uh, and so he, that was a book that he latched onto and, and loved the things that Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf. And that's a lot about, you know, killing off the Jews and, and uh, white Aryan race and the supremacy of, of white folks. Um, how did he, I mean, did he just get a copy of that? I mean, just I, in the local I, library? I, or I guess what it, was, the, it was easier to access or, you know, in it, the 60s. I mean, I'm not about yeah. censorship. I get that. Yeah, but really, it's, I mean, I'll Hitler's bet, book. Yeah, it's funny that somebody was probably burning uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn back then, but they or Lolita, and they didn't burn Mein Kampf. Exactly. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so at some point in, in Franklin's life during his teenage years, he became proficient uh, with firearms, despite the fact that he, when he was seven years old, and he always hated his mother for this, when he was seven years old, he had a bad bike accident that ended up in him being blind, legally blind in his right eye and hard of seeing, hard of sight in his left eye. It was never enough that he couldn't fire a rifle accurately, it turned out, because you know there's 22 dead bodies to account for that. But that was something that he always hated his mother for because she never took him to the doctor to get treated. So he developed cataracts. They didn't believe in going to the doctor, or maybe they were just abusive parents and didn't want to take him to the doctor. It's a little unclear on that. But he always hated his mother because he felt like if she'd taken him to the doctor when he had that bad bike accident when he was seven, first of all, he wouldn't have been legally blind in one eye, and maybe he wouldn't have turned out quite as bad as he did. Of course, it's easy to blame your mom when you're sitting on death row and just a few weeks before you're going to be executed, right? Which is, I believe, when he said that. Um, Maybe you guys remember when we talked about Eric Rudolph, and that was our, our June 23rd episode titled, Where's the Love?, where we talked about how he had become enamored with the Christian identity sect, and that was where the, a certain group uh, reads the Bible to interpret that only white people are descendants of Adam and Eve, and everybody else is, they were made when the animals were made. Wow. Yeah. So he, he, he Even latched. Even the devil, isn't that something you said? Isn't that part of that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Can I say crazy? I'm trying not to say crazy so much. I said crazy like six times last time we were together. Mm. Mm. And here I am saying crazy again. Mm. Thanks, Katie. You're welcome. Um, So Franklin got some of his hatred for races other than white from the Christian identity folks. Uh, But he got tired of that after a little while. And so... He got married, and that didn't last long. He was abusive, but not an alcoholic. He beat up his wife, and he ran away from her and moved to Washington, D.C. to join, wait for it, the American Nazi Party. I'm shocked. Yeah. I know, right? Uh, it wasn't a big organization back then, but it, was, it had gained some notoriety because what they would do is they would go out to civil rights demonstrations, and they would fight in the streets. Uh, they would organize debates and speeches uh, at major college campuses and just make themselves known despite the fact that it wasn't a very big organization. I'm interested too, and you, you may not, there, this may not have touched on in the book, but how does his father feel about this after fighting in World War II? You know, you, you don't... I not mean, really a lot. He's uh, fighting against Hitler. Dad left when he was eight. Okay, so... So one year mean, after his... Dad doesn't care what he's accident, doing. Yeah. Dad's gone. Uh, okay. and, and never came back as far as I know, but left a lasting impression in those first eight years of his life. What, a, what a stand-up kind of father. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he, got, he gets in with the Nazi party, and they're doing these counter-protests at civil rights demonstrations. 
but they're it's not really his thing he figures out pretty soon because he's one of those guys who's he's got long hair and he looks like the hippie that the Nazi party hates and he says dude and man and he kind of slow and lackadaisical like maybe he's stoned all the time well why in the world is is he in the because he loved their ideology if he was an oddball to the rest of them and so he but he didn't last long there either um he moved back to Atlanta, and he joined the National States Rights Party. And there's a lot of racial unrest, a lot of uh, white flight, and they're busing students at the time in the early 70s. And uh, the National States Rights Party was led by a guy named J.B. Stoner, uh, a famous avowed racist lawyer. He defended James Earl Ray for the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Stoner once said, and I'm quoting, being a Jew should be a crime punishable by death, unquote. Good God. He once described Hitler as too moderate. <laughs> Hitler's and, too moderate. And ran for governor of Georgia in 1970. Guys, I'm happy to report to you that as of today, this miserable son of a bitch has been dead for 16 years and oh, almost four Lord. months. Did he have the mustache? Uh, not the one picture that I saw, no. But maybe he just couldn't grow one. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Uh, Franklin got frustrated even with these guys because what they liked to do a lot of times was stand on the corner and hand out literature and try to argue with people. And especially if they saw a, a multi-race couple or a mixed-race couple, that, they really, that really drew their attention and they tried to embarrass them in the streets because they believed in white power and the races shouldn't mix. That was their, that was their thing. Um, so finally, when he got tired of the national states rights party he decided to move back to wait for it alabama and join the largest ku klux klan organization in the nation at the time what a fantastic list for alabama to be right at the tip top of (sighs) so he moved back to alabama and joined the united clans of america the biggest organization in the country at the time um but he really didn't care about meeting with his fellow mother kluxers this Franklin fellow. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, he didn't want to wear sheets and burn crosses in black people's yards. He wanted to learn how to be a violent extremist. He wanted to learn how to, uh, uh, to use guerrilla warfare and, and firearms training and explosives training to create a race war, much like Charles Manson had tried to do in the late 60s out in California. We've mentioned him before on this show. Mm-hmm. But that's what he wanted to do. And so... Uh, This is exactly when he changed his name to Joseph Paul Franklin. And the significance of that is uh, Paul Joseph Goebbels was Adolf Hitler's propaganda uh, minister for the duration of the Third Reich from 1933 to 1945. So Vaughn changes his name to uh, Joseph Paul Franklin. And Franklin is for Ben Franklin because he thinks Ben Franklin is the biggest patriot and greatest American in the history of the country. So he's half Nazi, half American. That's the name that he picked. Joseph Paul Franklin. So when I say Franklin for the rest of the show, this is the gentleman that I'm talking about. All right. Franklin. Um, And so it was white power. That was what he wanted to do. And he, he didn't hate specifically blacks. He hated Jews. He hated whites who associated with anybody who wasn't also white but most especially if those people who weren't also white were black. Gosh, you know, you hate that many different groups of people. It's got to be exhausting. I, yeah, get a let hobby. Me, let me ask this. Because I can just about 
I don't know anything about this. I purposefully came into this with no knowledge. It's liberating. I did it last week, and I actually enjoyed I know, the show as I'm, much as if I'd I'm done a lot of work. I'm hanging on every word. Yeah, go ahead. How does he feel about women? You women. know, there's no mention of that except for the fact that he beat his wife. So I awesome. can I can insert a guess into there if you like. But nah, it's okay. I, I think his thing was no he, he definitely was against white women dating black men. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. That. I mean, okay. Yeah. Um, so what he started out doing when he decided that he had finally found his niche and he was going to, you know, use his guerrilla warfare tactics and, and, and just confront people into their face, uh, he started out verbally assaulting mixed race couples. Uh, and he avoided consequences of this in a lot of cases because, first of all, there were no computers at the time. So it was hard to trace somebody. You didn't scan their driver's license and you know, uh, follow their credit card transactions. Uh, he, he was good at creating multiple forms of, of identification. He had several aliases and per- personal documents. He wore disguises. And a lot of times when he committed a crime, we'll find out in just a few minutes, he would sell his car and buy another one. And he would always pay cash so that he never had the same car as he drove around the country committing these murders. He had a really good system that he'd put in place, whether on purpose or not, for avoiding the authorities for evading capture because he was just a different person every time in the name and the car and the maybe so these, appearance. these crimes are just, they're well planned, well thought out. It seems like is it. he targeting specific people or no, is it more of he's a, targeting black people okay. or mixed race couples, but not, or Jews are not, but not following one specific Whoever he can find on his list of people that he hates, there's some there's some Jewish people that he kills, and I don't mean specific names. Okay, like the first different types of races and and just demographics of people. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. And and one of the other things that he does uh, when he doesn't sell his car, don't forget that I said that he a lot of times he changed the license plates on his car when he went Mm -hmm. from one place to another. He had a, a trunk full of license plates that he'd stolen or whatever, and he'd just change them around. Most of the time. One of the first things that he decides to do uh, is to attack a man named Morris Amity, who was a lobbyist for the nation of Israel, I assume on a federal government level. Obviously, he was Jewish. So on July the 25th, 1977, Franklin sets a bomb under this man's house, and it goes off, and everybody lived except for the family dog. He killed... (sighs) He killed the fucking dog. And I hated him right then. Mm. If I didn't already, I hated him right then. Anyway, so he established one of his patterns of his attacks that it, it, he leaves town immediately. He's gone. He, he, he doesn't even wait around to see what the news coverage is going to be. He doesn't wait to, to grab the next day's edition of the local paper. He's gone. And he goes to Chattanooga, which is about 90 minutes due north of where we're sitting right now. Yes, um, Chattanooga. And he decides to bomb a Jewish synagogue. And there is one in Chattanooga. And so four days later, he missed time. He, he builds another bomb and he puts it under the steps or whatever. Katie, you got something. He, he, he bombs yeah. this synagogue or sets up the bomb, but he missed time the, the evening services. And so everybody left before the bomb went off and he didn't kill anyone. And he was incensed by this. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, they couldn't. Right? Come on, dude. You can't tell time. Really? Apparently, you have to have so many 
Jewish elders right? in it's, the church you, to hold you've church. Have, oh, so it was one of those situations. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so not enough people showed up to have the service, and so they left at seven thirty, and the bomb was supposed to go off at seven forty-five. I'm making up times, but mm-hmm. you know, right. so the service didn't take place. Oh, uh, okay, okay. One gotcha. of those situations. Good catch, Katie. Yeah. Um, so what he did after that, he loaded up a hunting rifle and drove to Wisconsin to try and kill a Jewish Jewish judge that he'd read about in the news. Uh, before he could figure out a plan for killing the judge, Franklin gets into an argument with a couple in a mall parking lot in Madison, Wisconsin. And he notices pretty quickly that it is a mixed race couple. That's what he calls them, MRCs. And he shoots and kills them both right there in the parking lot with a pistol that he just happens to be carrying. That is the first of 22 people that we believe that Joseph Paul Franklin killed over the course of his three-year killing spree. Mm. First two that we know of that he's admitted to or or ever been uh, accused of or convicted of. Um, and so what he did after that, he drove around town for a few months or around the country, really, for a few months. And what he's doing is he's robbing banks. That's how he's paying to keep himself going. He gets married at one point uh, later on in this three-year uh, period, this timeline, and he tells his new wife that he is a traveling plumber. And that's why he's gone for long that's stretches a at a time. I don't know. Maybe she was an idiot. Oh, well, they didn't or, have or maybe Google I'm an then. idiot, and it really is. You know, they didn't have Google. There was no, uh, well, me, what's that I, thing with the Angie's list? It yeah. just There's seems no like Angie's if you were a plumber, you would stay local and fix the local I don't toilets know. Maybe he's and a, whatnot. Maybe he's a, uh, an industrial plumber and he has to go where the big job. I don't know. We're, uh, okay, we're splitting whatever, yeah. I'm not going to judge her because I don't know what yeah, Ollie told yeah, me. Yeah, that was one thing that she said, I had no idea that this guy was who he was. He just told me he was gone for months at a time as a, a traveling plumber. Well, and it sounds like he can he can change. He's got all these different names and aliases yeah. he goes by. I'm sure he can change on a dime and be very charming and then, mm-hmm. you know, and just lie through his teeth, just yeah. sweet as sugar. And then the next minute, he's gunning down people in a parking lot. And thinks he's right to be doing it. Exactly. Thinks he's doing God's work. Good gracious. Yeah. So he drives around for a few months. He's robbing banks. He's buying and selling firearms uh, in the local newspaper and at uh, pawn shops, I guess. He's just he's trying to make money to keep going. And uh, so he gets to Dallas in September of 77, and he buys a thirty out 6 rifle. And then he drives to St. Louis to, and I'm quoting Franklin here, pick off some Jews. He's driving to St. Louis to to kill some Jewish people. So he settled on a synagogue in Richmond Heights, Missouri. And on October the 8th of 1977, he hit across the street. He waited for the congregation to be excused from the services. And he starts firing his 30-06 into the crowd. He hits three men and kills one, a man named Gerald Gordon. So the FBI, after Gordon is killed, was called in to assist in an investigation because they determined it was probably a hate crime. It was a Jewish synagogue, random shooting, probably a hate crime. And so like serial killers do, Franklin did what is known as a cooling off period. He went months without doing anything else. And one of the reasons, or one of the ways you define a serial killer is it's three or more murders with a cooling off period in between. You know this, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I did not until I read that. Um, What what do they define when there's not a cooling off period in between? It's still a serial killer. It's multiple murders. Okay. But like a serial killer is somebody who's, and I can't say serial killer. There, <laughs> yeah. I finally got it like, out. It's me t- you say well, it so many and, times and it yeah, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not exactly sure. And, and certainly if we had someone, you know, who wrote Mindhunter here 
yeah. with us, they could give us an, they a could give us a profile. great description <laughs> or definition of, of a serial killer, but, but it has to be multiple murders. And um, the cooling off period, I don't, I don't think it matters exactly how long, um, yeah. but I think it's, um, they look at it as, is this person planning this, walking up, killing people? Then going on to the next one, is there a pattern? Does, is it a certain type of victim? Is it a, you know. Right. Uh, um, but even though, even saying all of that, you can still get a serial killer title. What was the guy's name who was up in the, up in the tower and was killing people at the university? At the university of Texas. Yeah. Uh, Charles. I can't remember his I mean, last that's name. A, he he shot a serial killer. 33 people, yeah, but he did it all killer. in an afternoon. But it's, it's multiple people. Yeah. Still a serial a killer. sniper. What's his name? I'll look it up. Charles. Somewhere, someone is screaming the name I know, of this. I'm so sorry. Name. I'm so sorry. Anybody who's seen Full Metal Jacket, there's a sequence in there where they mention that guy's name. Uh, just because he's proud of Marines and what skilled marksmen they are. It's, it's, it's hard to explain. Yeah. But Charles, someone, I think. Anyway, so we're back to the story. And here's the part where if you're going to clutch your pearls at all, uh, go ahead and grab them now because we're about to speak of full frontal nudity because one of the other people that uh, Franklin shot was Larry Flint, the publisher of Hustler Magazine. And that happened in uh, October... March. Of, was it March of 1978? Mm-hmm. March, yeah. So. Larry Flint, and I'll, I'll breeze through this. Larry Flint was, and if you want to know a little bit about this, watch The People versus Larry Flint, uh, the movie starring... Uh, I've seen it. Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was in Lawrenceville, Georgia, defending his right to publish Hustler magazine in a local courtroom. And Franklin, at some point, stumbled across an issue of Hustler magazine that depicted interracial sex. And that incensed him, and he decided, I'm going to kill the guy who publishes this magazine. And he found out where he was, and he climbed onto the roof of a building across the street from the diner where Larry Flint and his lawyer ate lunch every day while they were attending this court case, and he shot them both. Uh, The lawyer wasn't horribly injured, but uh, Larry Flint was injured. He was paralyzed from the waist down, spent the rest of his life in yes. a wheelchair and with an addiction to painkillers. I was going to say, this is what started his addiction to yes. pain pills. Yep. And that was in Lawrenceville, Georgia, like I mentioned, and I put a star beside it so I wouldn't forget. And my shout out this week is for Emily Owen, Cade Gossett's young girlfriend that I met on Friday when she and Cade were in town for a visit. She is from Gwinnett County in Atlanta, and that is where Lawrenceville is located. I think they recently got engaged. That may be true, that but her, true. her dad may not know that because when he called me on Friday and said, hey, Cade's coming and he's bringing his girlfriend, that's what he said. So, Mark, congratulations. No, I'm, sure just he, I'm sure he misspoke. I'm positive he knows. <laughs> well, congratulations we are to them so, yeah, We're very happy for the couple, and we are so sorry if we spoiled any kind of surprise. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it was on Facebook. That's how I know. Okay. So well, then we're good. And, and that's our first engagement here on True Crime on Easy. <laughs> congratulations, guys. Yay, us. Best wishes. Uh, marriage is one, divorce is zero so far, but I'm keeping a running tally on this piece <laughs> of paper just in case it comes out the other way. Um, and so uh, they were both injured. Um, Flint more seriously, of course. And Franklin was really upset that he didn't kill Larry Flint. 
it turns out. And he actually drove around the parking lot of the hospital for some time trying to decide if he was going to break into the hospital and try to finish the job. Wow. He was dedicated. I'll give him that. He did not. He thought better of it. And so on July the 19th, he's driving around looking for more mixed race couples to kill. And he drives by a, and I don't want to get off on a thing here, but it's a pizza hut. And remember when Pizza Huts were the brick buildings with the, with the red square roof and yes. a salad bar and those red glasses and Galaga in the corner? Yes. Honestly, we should bring those back. I mean, I would love to bring those back. Well, I'm in. We're going to have an arcade at Easy Streets uh, at Duke's. And it, it's going to sell Alley pizza. Soon, so, right? y'all, yeah, y'all. All we have to do is paint the roof red and we're back where we started from. <laughs> get some che- checker tablecloths. <laughs> exactly. Um, but to get back to what happened, so he's driving by a Pizza Hut. And he sees a mixed race couple inside. And so he parks in the adjacent parking lot, hides in the bushes with a 12-gauge shotgun. And when the the couple comes out, he shoots the black man and kills him and shoots the white woman and injures her, does not kill her. Um, Did she see him? Was she able to identify what he looked like? I don't know that that's one of the crimes that he ever was prosecuted for. Oh, yes. um, Was he? He confessed this crime and, okay uh, he was given a life sentence for this murder okay so no i guess until he confessed to it either it hadn't been prosecuted or there was not enough evidence to try and figure out who the guy was um so he he goes to atlanta again in july of 1979 he kills the black manager of a taco bell in atlanta because he was standing too close to a white woman while they were behind the counter doing their job that's that's his uh, excuse later. Uh, so he's funding trips by robbing banks, but he's also selling his plasma at blood banks. He's trading guns and cars. Uh, the robberies really started in 77, and, but he's doing all of these things to generate funds to, to get him where he needs to go. So, so he, he, he thinks about changing his license plate, but he's leaving his blood plasma all over the place well I, was that even a it's probably not a thing by then. Then. yeah I mean, it really you know, wasn't okay i, I got you yeah because we're just, we're still talking about this well, this is 1979 yeah they may not have even taken his id to give blood i mean yeah, yeah. and he had so many identifications on him anyway that's true Whatever that's true saying. yeah okay but now Sorry. we get to 1980 and this is the pivotal okay. year for uh joseph paul franklin uh, he picked up a hitchhiker in Wisconsin. Here he is way back across the country in Wisconsin again in May of 1980. And he picks up a hitchhiker. Uh, she mentioned that she had dated a black man at some point during their conversation. So he makes her stand out of the car and he shoots her. And that murder was never solved until years later when Franklin is on death row and he confesses to it. Or he, he's, he's being convicted and he, maybe he's trying to weasel his way out of a, of a death sentence and maybe get live in prison instead. So he confesses to that one. Uh, and a few weeks later, here he is all the way. He's from Wisconsin. He's back into West Virginia. A few weeks later, two dead female hitchhikers, same circumstances, out of the car, bang, bang. They're dead on the side of the road. No one ever convicted until he admitted the crime. Uh, in May, Franklin decided to assassinate Vernon Jordan. And if you were around for the uh, Clinton and Kerry, the Clinton campaign or the Clinton administration in the Kerry campaign, Vernon Jordan was a, uh, a prominent black lawyer who was at the time the president of the National Urban League and was the executive director of the United Negro College Fund. So very prominent in the civil rights movement. The transition team, when Clinton came into office, Vernon Jordan was on it, an influential advisor, 
who should we have in this position? You know what I'm talking about. Um, so he decides that uh, Franklin decides he's going to assassinate Vernon Jordan. So he goes to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where Vernon Jordan is uh, staying at the time, shoots him in the back with a rifle from the other side of the parking lot. Jordan lives. And it wasn't until years later that Franklin admitted that shooting. Um, so he gets back to the, and I'm, I'm wrapping this up here. He's, he gets back to the Cincinnati area. He shoots two teenage boys who are walking to the candy store. They're just random. He's waiting to shoot another mixed race couple. But these two black boys walk by his location instead on the way to the candy store. So he shoots and kills them. They're just walking to the candy store. Yes. They're not even, I mean, what is the justification for that? Because uh, they're not around white people. They're not near, standing too close, you know. They were black. According he, to him. He just didn't want to Just walking waiting. while black. My gosh. Dante Brown and Daryl Lane, 13 and 14. <gasps> 13 and 14. Yes. Actually walking to the candy store. That's disgusting. So he drives, a, he, he, he ends up in Pennsylvania, uh, and he killed an interracial couple there as they walked across a bridge with a, with a rifle from long distance. He then goes to Salt Lake City, Utah, He's not quite done yet, but he's almost done. We're about to catch this guy. Uh, he gets sloppy. One of the things he doesn't do is he doesn't change that license plate. Um, he stayed in one place for too long. He drove the same car that he'd driven in a previous crime. And he had made contact with several people in the community, including a couple of prostitutes. So he, he kind of hung around in one place too long. And so <laughs> there's no internet yet. But when these murders take place in St. Uh, in Salt Lake City, there, there's what was called a teletype machine. It was kind of a precursor of fax machines. So police departments around the country could communicate with each other. And so Salt Lake City sends out, they get a description of the guy from the prostitute. And a couple, there's a couple of other sources. There's some, there's some information about his car because that license plate wasn't changed. They trace it back to who he bought it from. And they start to get a picture of what the guy looks like. So they send out the teletype all over the country about this crime and the specifics of it and the picture of this guy, it ends up in Cincinnati where those other two, uh, the two young boys, the two teenage boys had been shot at random. And that's where they start to kind of put things together and think that maybe it's the same guy committing all of these crimes and he's driving around the country shooting people at random. And so a month later, we're in September of 1980, Franklin is back. He's in Kentucky, but it's just across the river from Cincinnati. So we're going to say he's in Cincinnati. It's September 25th, 1980. He's in his motel room, minding his own business. But outside, the police are conducting some sort of search or they're making an arrest. And there's three or four cars in the parking lot and there's chatter on the radio and the red lights and blue lights are flashing. So Franklin calls the desk and complains about the noise. And then when nothing happens, he calls the local Kentucky City Police Department and complains about the noise. So I'm sure, I can only imagine that one of the cops who's standing in the parking lot goes, oh, really? Let's see if this guy's ever had a traffic ticket. Let's figure out who this complainer is. Let's see if we can make him sorry he ever called us. And boy, did they. Because they ran his plate. They figured out, because of the teletype machine, it's out there. The description, the car's license plate the aliases that he's used at all these motels all around the country. It's all starting to come together. The FBI has been investigating this for a few months now. So they've got some pieces that they can start to put together. And so they haul his ass out of there. The knock on the door, I can't even imagine the lump in his throat when he realized if I'd kept my mouth shut, they would not be knocking on my door. Right I now. love the way he was caught so much. Well, he did escape. 
Yeah, they took him to the police station, didn't realize who they had. He climbed out a window when he was left alone, and he was gone for another month, and I'm done. Now it's Katie's turn. He was gone for another month? Another month. Did he kill anybody? Katie's turn. Okay. Well, (laughs) he winds up in Florida, Uh and he needs to make some money because, you know, he can't. He can't rob banks now. Yeah, Yeah, he's on the run. Now he's he's on the run. They know him. So he goes to give some more of that plasma, and he's at a blood bank. They they realize who they have there because he has these racist tattoos, which I'm assuming are like swastikas or whatever. I haven't I haven't looked that. Uh, It was the Grim Reaper on one forearm and a uh, an American bald eagle on the other. Oh. I thought they were racist tattoos. I, I would have thought so too I, if I, I hadn't read that. I, I read a I read an article that said he had racist tattoos. So I, he probably, he did, probably somewhere did somewhere else. <laughs> but he has to roll up his sleeve to get blood. Yeah, and, and they, they're very distinct. Yes, and and memorable tattoos. Yeah, and they had had that in the description of him, and so they realized who they had at this blood bank, and they called the police, and he's hauled in, and that was in October of 1980, right? Yeah, that was after he'd been on the run for a month. So he he escapes from uh, the, where was he? That was the Cincinnati or the Kentucky area. Yeah, he was in Kentucky technically. And And he makes it all the way to Florida. He makes it all the way to Florida. And one of the things that was going on was uh, Jimmy Carter was campaigning in the southern states. And two years earlier, Franklin had sent a letter to Jimmy Carter threatening to kill him because of his uh, stance on social rights, uh, uh, civil rights. And so there was some concern that he may be going to try to kill the president. Yeah, so he, yeah, it's, it's October 28th, 1980. I thought I had it written down somewhere. That he's finally arrested, and he has a slew of charges and trials. Well, you can say trials ahead of him. Yeah. In 1982, he's acquitted of the federal civil rights charges that were against him. Oh, oh, what? Did you say acquitted? acquitted? He's acquitted. He's acquitted. He's acquitted of several things, yes. Who is this jury? Yep. The, oh, my gosh. Maybe, maybe a bunch of white people. What is, but, but I mean, I what the heck? Not I'm just enough, guessing. Yeah, not enough evidence there for the civil rights charges. I mean. Okay, yeah. okay, so looking at the evidence, mm. they're not able to present enough. Yeah. Yeah, evidence? I mean, are they able to present enough? No, not for, no. Not for the civil okay. rights so, I mean, that's not... That's and not at his, this time, he's not saying... No, he hasn't started talking. I ta- hate he hasn't started everybody talking. but white people. He hasn't started talking. And I don't like all the white people, really. Right, that was then... Yeah. That, remember that 1980 shooting that left uh, civil rights leader Vernon Jordan critically injured. So there was no murder charge to go along with that. So I guess that's why they were trying to go for those civil rights charges. Yeah. Because he was a civil rights leader. Yeah, he's acquitted for the civil rights violations in... Indiana. And then Utah juries find him guilty of murder and civil rights violations. Thank With, you, Utah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And okay. the, you know, because he clearly murdered them just for being black. He did, yeah. No other reasoning on that. No. Uh, more convictions followed. Uh, he was convicted for the Chattanooga bombings where he bombed the synagogue that's not a that wasn't a murder conviction but he was convicted in those cases he was convicted for the double murder he convicted he committed in wisconsin the uh prosecutors in that case described it as the closest thing to killing for sport that they knew that was the two hitchhikers in wisconsin yeah yeah. i should have took these notes better yeah i mean that's what it seems like it seemed like it wasn't really 
I don't, you asked earlier before we got started, Kelly, how that this was all a well-conceived plan. I don't think it was. I just think that he had stumbled across a, a, a method of operation that allowed him to stay random. And he realized, I mean, I can, if, I, if I'm in well, yeah, Salt Lake City on Tuesday and, and then, I'm in Cincinnati on Friday, right. shit, they're not going to figure out that it's me. No. Especially if I change the license plate and shave my mm-hmm. beard and put on a different pair of glasses mm-hmm. and sell my car and have another one by the time I get there. It's going to take him years to figure out that it's me. And it did. It took him three years to figure it out because he got lazy. Well, and he made a, com- a noise complaint. And he made a noise complaint. Let that be a lesson, folks. <laughs> Just let the police do their job. Do not make a noise complaint. We get convictions for the double murder in Cincinnati. We get convictions for uh, the murder of William Tatum, who he shot outside of the Chattanooga Pizza Hut. Okay. And we get a conviction for the murder of Gerald Gordon, who he killed outside of that Jewish synagogue, which is what led to his death sentence. That was the one in Missouri that got him the yes. death penalty. The okay. synagogue, the man where he was just shooting into the crowd and and he died. That yeah. was that's because, what got because, him his death. Because he was already in jail for the rest of his life. And mm-hmm. I remember reading at one point that, you know, a lot of jurisdictions didn't want to take the chance to try and convict somebody and, and deal with the, the cost and hauling them across oh, yeah. the country and the chance they could get away. But Missouri said nope. We want to put a needle in that guy's arm for killing Gerald Gordon. And yeah, they he eventually didn't, did. He didn't get extradited on most of these because he confessed to several cases without convictions. Um, the murder of the teenager Nancy out in West Virginia. Yes. So yeah, Nancy did, Santamero and Vicki Durian were yes. the two girls in West Virginia. The uh, murder of the interracial couple in Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania didn't want to extradite him. The murder of the interracial couple in Johnstown, Ohio. Uh, he separate murders of the of the white woman and the black man in Decatur, Georgia, that we talked about earlier. Right. The federal civil rights charges that he was convicted on were the two men in in Salt Lake City. The two young men yeah, who yeah, were with not their, the, Utah. Not yeah, not the um. Not the, thir- not the young 13th boys. and 14 year old. 13 and 14 year old boys. That was in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yes. And I then just, in Salt Lake City, it was two couples. It was two black men and two white females. And they were all okay. in their teens. But he didn't like a, two mixed race couples mm-hmm. walking together in the park. And so mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of confusing to keep those separated. But that's and, Salt Lake versus Cincinnati. Yeah. There have been uh, several serial killers that r- reportedly have done this with holding on to some information and then saying, hey, mm-hmm. um, there is another victim and I'll tell you where the body is or I'll tell you more about it. And it it can range from being a game that they like to play yeah. with people to trying to negotiate more Better mashed terms. potatoes yeah, or, sure. you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. And you also have to think about this book comes from an interview with him, correct? Or several interviews. Um, is it? This book is not interviews with him. No, oh, okay. th- this, is, this is just somebody who's, <clears throat> it's only about 150 pages long. Mm-hmm. It, it's very basic. And I don't, I'm not tr- criticizing the author. It's if you just wanted the facts in 150 pages, it was perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Well, a but lot of these facts come from him, right? Well, are, are some of them do. I think a lot of them come some from Wikipedia because I've seen a lot of the same facts as I was going mm-hmm. through some Wikipedia stuff checking it out. Okay. Uh, well, what, but, you know, the point terrified. I was terrified. Yeah, the point I was getting to is sometimes they, y- you also have to realize that you're talking to or who you're talking to. Right. Certainly. And remember that they will lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. So, so a lot of times it's, it's 
I often wonder if um, their childhoods were as bad or even worse or, you know, things like that that they say to try to paint a picture to gain sympathy or... I don't know. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that he yeah, didn't well, experience this terrible childhood. Right. It's just you You kind of have to keep that in mind when you're talking with someone who really is a professional liar. That's a good way to, to put it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> because who knows? No. It, well, going back to, to lying, uh, his, the murders of Nancy and Vicky, the, the two young hitchhiking women, that he confessed to the crime later on, there was actually a man sitting in prison for those crimes mm-hmm. at the time that he confessed. His name was Jacob Beard, and he was convicted and imprisoned in 1993. And in 1997, Franklin confessed to the crimes, and Beard was not released until 1999. The wheels of justice turned slowly. Yes, bless him. He sat in prison for seven years for a crime he did not commit. Wow. How is that possible? Wow. How is that possible? Why are you not releasing someone? I can't, someone who listens, who knows anything about the system, please explain this to me. A whole new trial was ordered for, for the, uh, for I guess it Jacob would have, Beard, and he had to have a whole new trial based on Franklin's confession. I guess it would have to be found innocent. Yeah, or not guilty. It would depend on state law, but it you insane. you can't. We can't. Maybe it says we can't just let you out. We've got to try you again. We and if this is compelling out. evidence, even to if we're incredibly wrong, we cannot just let you out. And then in 1997, when he's on trial for for murdering Gerald Gordon, the the, the trial that got him his death sentence, he he tries to escape, and uh, mm-hmm. he then he has a psychiatrist come in who interviewed him at length, and as we've had several cases here recently where we've had uh, not guilty by reason of insanity defenses. She, the psychiatrist, uh, defends and says she believes that he was paranoid, schizophrenic, and unfit to stand trial. Anybody who is going to drive around the country and shoot people based, or whatever, bomb people based on their race, their religion, the color of their skin, whatever else you want to say, yes, there's something wrong with that person. Right. But, but he knows right from wrong, yeah, she, which she, is what we're asking here. She just notes his delusional thinking and a history Definitely. of childhood abuse. Definitely all of those things. Yeah. But he knows mm-hmm. this is wrong. Mm-hmm. He's changing his license plate. Yeah. He's going all over the place. He's changing his name. He's changing the way he looks. He knows this is wrong. How'd that come out? No, he was still convicted. Okay. That's when he okay. got his death sentence. Okay. But his lawyer uh, launched three separate appeals. One claiming that his life should be spared because he was mentally ill. So mm-hmm. they automatically appealed on that. So he can just go around and shoot more people. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. That's what he wants. Yep. Uh, one claiming a faulty jury instruction when he was given the death penalty, which we kind of touched on in the Willie Maxwell case about how uh, they didn't... the. The lawyers did not want the um, oh yeah judge to to say what would happen with the yeah don't tell us the consequences mm-hmm. you just you adjudicate this based on the facts you have and we'll take it from there yep and then another one was that uh, Missouri's first ever use of the single drug pentobarbital yeah pentobarbital um for the execution so it was like well we don't he doesn't need the death penalty because we don't think that the the way that they 
yeah, before that, the death been like penalty a, in Missouri is is rot. Yeah, before that, it had been like like a three drug cocktail, and there mm-hmm. had been some uh, disagreement with the European Union. We couldn't get that anymore, and yeah, the U.S. Yeah, Supreme it, Court upheld um, the federal appeals court ruling, and oh, because there were two separate stays of execution, right. which means that you know they're they're putting off the execution or whatever, and the U.S. Supreme Court was like, nah. Yeah, we're not we're not dealing with this anymore, and there. But his execution was it was complicated because there were various European drug manufacturers that refused or objected. That's it to have their drugs used in lethal injection. Yeah, so that's um, Missouri that announced that it would use um, a new method of lethal injection, which used a single drug provided by an unnamed compounding pharmacy. And so that's when they. Really try to get the stay of execution, but wasn't that? Do you guys remember when that was going on around the country? Like the death penalty stuff, it it got very complicated about, especially when it was lethal injection. Like what compounds it were used? I know Alabama went through it for a while. They had to. They didn't want to talk about exactly which compounds they used in the cocktail that they. Yeah, it says unnamed. Yeah, and it, I I think that's. There was a time in the whole country when that was a an uproar mm-hmm. about how that was going to go forward. So maybe that was around this time. I. He was on death row for 15 years until he was executed November 20th, 2013. And a couple of numbers to throw at you, what they be- investigators believe that he's responsible for at least 18 murders, five non-fatal shootings, two bombings, and 16 bank robberies that took place over 11 states. I always wondered how many bank robberies. And that's the first number that I've heard. But it, it, there was enough of a mention of it in the book that I read and on that uh, FBI files show that I saw that it, it seemed like it was fairly prolific that he was just running around the country, walking inside. And I don't know if he just slipped him a note. There's two different kinds of bank robberies I read. There's, yeah, you know, there's, and he, uh, but he had armed robbery charges. Okay. Yeah, so right. he did, I think he did a combination. Okay. But- at least 16. There's the one where you just slip them a note and get out, and there's the other where you take over the bank. Those are the well, yeah. two kinds of bank robberies. Oh, yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, when you use a, a gun to rob a bank, it becomes, that's that, when yeah. it's armed. Doesn't bank, matter at yeah. that point, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But that is, that's what happened to Joseph Paul Franklin. And where was he executed? In Missouri. In Missouri. Yeah, okay. the, I forget the name of the Pinotti Prison or yeah. uh, Terre Haute. Somewhere there's a big, huge maximum mm-hmm. security Is that prison. Terre Haute. Terre Haute. I always say it wrong. Terre yes, there's he, a. He was executed in Missouri, and that was for yeah. the murder of Gerald Gordon, who mm-hmm. was the Jewish man outside of that synagogue. Which in it's Chatt- I, I'm uh, in Missouri Heights, whatever, mm-hmm. or some, ran uh, something mm-hmm. Heights, Missouri. But yes, and so you know, it's terrible when you can't, you know, leave your place of worship without fear of mm-hmm. being shot, shooting at you. Which I, I mean. And we don't have a, a lot of synagogues just near us because just, re, you know, re, regional re, religious differences. Yeah. But I know several people who are Jewish and live in California or up north, and it's it's not uncommon now to have armed guards, you know, policemen, police officers at. I wonder how directly responsible church. this is for that. I mean, I wonder if it's been going on for, yeah. you know, since it's the 80s. But and, and more and more, I mean, we, we've had <clears throat> we've had church shootings right here that aren't really religiously motivated per se, but they're uh, or racially motivated or yeah, just crazy motivated. Sorry. I keep saying crazy. 
<laughs> Edit this out, not a doctor. <laughs> well, I'm not the editor, so the oh, yeah, lawyer right. will have to well, do that. I'm leaving. You guys figure it out after I'm gone. <laughs> well, this. Uh, thank you guys for this story. Um, wow. There's a there's a drink for everybody. Uh, Another one. Another one. I still think that should be our first T-shirt. Wow. I think it should say wow big across the back. <laughs> it should be like a, an empty beer can and an upside down shot glass and a turned over glass of wine to represent the three of us. Underneath Who's the big who? word wow. Who's who? She's wine. She's. You're beer. Katie's wine. I'm beer. And I'm shot. Okay. In my head. All right. All right. Is that okay? I mean, Should yeah. I have you guys backwards? No, I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> That's how I envisioned it in my head. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening this week. Um, and if you want to go look up what this guy looks like, you know, he's not an attractive <laughs> dude at all. Maybe we'll throw it on our social media page. Yeah, we'll do Yikes. Um, Anyways, I just had to throw that in there. Just, just one more insult. I felt, I felt, I feel bad. I really, shouldn't be you, insulting people. You felt people. like you owed him one more on one the way out the door. He's already been dead for eight years. He looks like a white supremacist. He does. He did. He, I mean, yeah. And in, in, in your the picture in your head of what a white supremacist might look like, what he really he does. Movies. I mean, he really does in the movies. You're, you know, I, they may have based a lot of movies off what he looks like. Yeah. Could um, be. Anyways, you can you can look into this case a little bit more and let us know if there's additional books or resources or something that you find that, that gives you a little something more interesting. Don't forget to email us at truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com. Nice. I did it. We didn't even have to edit that. And I'm sorry if we got <laughs> any of And then she coughed the... into the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if we got any of the details a little mixed up as he... He just murdered so many people in so many different places, and it, yeah, you, you it's may find a discrepancy in there somewhere. But we did the best we could. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it today. I, I was learning along with everybody else, and I enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much. Follow us on social media and uh, all of your favorite social medias. I guess we're there. I mean, we kind social, of are. Really, yeah. social medias. Social medias. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Platforms. Like, like social media platforms. I don't know. It just sounded wrong. It did, didn't, didn't it? it? Sorry. It's all right. I apologize to all of the English teachers out there. <laughs> sorry, Stephanie. Yeah, I'm sorry, Stephanie. Stephanie. Love you. Uh, all right. Well, you guys have a wonderful evening. And we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>